And I'm going to be honest with you, I have no idea what that has to do with the prodigal son at all. Um, but I will say I was mesmerized for about 50 minutes uh, this week watching the rest of that video, and I was pretty captivated by it, as, a, as I know you were. So <laughs> I want to tell you the story in a different way. A man has two sons. He has two sons. And the younger one demands the share of the father's uh, inheritance for him, and the father unexpectedly gives it to him. And he takes it, he goes off, he squanders it, he lives it up, he spends it all, and he returns home hoping just to be hired on as a worker in the dad's business. But the father, again, unexpectedly, welcomes his son back and decides to throw a party for him, uh, fat and calf and all. Now, the older brother refuses to join into this celebration. It's unfair, he tells the father, right? He says to him that, I haven't even received a goat from you so that my friends and I can celebrate. And the father just kind of calmly responds to him and says, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. And I tell you this story of Jesus because within this story, uh, there's, there's interesting little sub-stories that go on within it. The younger brother is basically just telling his own version of the story. It's how he sees this turn of events that are happening here. You see, as he heads home in shame, he is rehearsing this speech that he might give his father on the way back. I mean, after all, it was his plan to go and to use the inheritance and to live a, a good life with it, something he miserably failed at. And so on his way home, he rehearses this speech that he's going to give to his father. He's really convinced that he's no longer worthy to be called a son. But when he gets home, the father, uh, quite incredibly, decides on a different plan. And his father takes the, the robe and says to be, that to be put on him and a ring to be placed on his finger and sandals on his feet. And, and this is different because a, a robe and ring and sandals and this type of care, that's kind of qualities of a son, not of a hired worker here. And so this is what he offers the son. And even though the son has decided that he's no longer a son anymore, his father is telling this different story. And his father's story has the themes of return and reconciliation and redemption. That's the way his father sees it. And so there's these two versions of the same story, one that the younger son sees and he's writing and he's telling, and then one now that the father is telling as well. And I was thinking this morning that... As, when you get into that, that might define you. I and mean, you might look at a story like that and immediately you can identify with the younger son. You think of the times where you pushed back from your family and you, you went off to want to do your own thing. Maybe you rejected your family's principles and what they taught you. Maybe it was within your marriage where at some point you just pushed back against your spouse and against just the whole idea of, of what you might have called the confines of marriage. And maybe it's, it's just like this son here. You just decided whatever you had, you were just going to go out and kind of live it up and spend it. And maybe it's a little bit more specific than that. It's not a broad time period, but it's just that one time, that, that one night you went out, or that one time you did that one thing, and it seems to haunt you up till now. And when you look, you can say, I can really identify with this younger son 
because when that happened in my life or when I realized the road that I was on or I had gone down, I thought, man, I'm unworthy to return. Or I don't even know how to pick myself back up now and move forward. Just like the younger son, and maybe you've told yourself that story. And really, the younger son, he has to decide here whose version of the story is he going to believe. Is he going to believe this version where he's unworthy, no longer worthy, or is he going to believe the version, virgin, uh, version that, uh, how do you recover from that? Version that his father is telling him here, one that involves this robe and ring and sandal wearing, that he once was dead, but now he's alive, lost and now found. He has to choose which story he's going to live in. Which is he going to believe which story is he going to trust? If this depicts you this morning, I want you to kind of hold on to that thinking. And in a little while at the end, I want to offer you something that I think helps in that as we get going this son. But we find in this story, though it so articulates the younger son, that the older son has really a similar type of thing he has to deal with here. He's telling his own version. All right his own uh, uh, way to tell the story. How about that? (laughs) Goodness gracious. He tells his father, this is what he says, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, he can't even say the brother's name, who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him. I mean, that's a lot in just a few words that he strikes out. In fact, you might think that he's been holding on to this for a long time, and now it's kind of coming out with some venom, right? I mean, we read that very calmly, but think about saying that to your father. First, in, in, his, uh, in his view of this, he's been slaving for his father for years. Slaving is how he describes working for his dad. And as we look at this story, the details of this story, this would seem like it would totally contradict what we know of the father who seems like anyone but a slave driver. Secondly, we find that in his way, he looks at this and he says the father's never even given him a goat. You know, a goat compared to the fattened calf doesn't have much meat on it. So his view, and as he's retelling the story, it's not even one that uh, is impressive here. It's it's kind of lame the way he tells it with a goat instead. What he's really saying is what he reveals and what he thinks about his father. He thinks his father's cheap is what he's saying. Third, and I think this is most poignant, maybe the thing that grips us the most, he claims that his father has dealt with his brother according to a whole different set of standards here. He's basically saying to his father, you're unfair. I don't like it. And I'm getting the shaft here. And he's pretty angry about it. That's what he's saying. Now, all this is going on, this conversation, while this party is in full swing, going on in the background and the side. Well, with the father we find, he's, he's not rattled here. He's not provoked. He doesn't respond in anger. He just simply looks at his son. He says, my son, you're always with me. And everything I have is yours. And then he tells him, we need to go celebrate now. Think about the verse he's sharing You're always with me, and everything I have is yours. What he's saying to his son, really, in just one little statement, is a totally different view of the story. First, he's telling his son, look, you haven't been a slave. You're not a slave at all. 
you've had it the whole time. All that I've had has belonged to you since the beginning. You see, from a a cultural standpoint, the first son would have inherited everything. The land, the animals, everything. There would have been some monetary, uh, uh, monetary value that, that the, the father might have had that would actually have been like tangible money. That was to be dispersed between son two and on down, depending on how many sons. But that first son would have received everything. You might say, well, that seems a little unfair, but that's the culture. And everyone hearing this story would have understood it here. And the father is saying, you've had it the whole time. You've not had to work You've not had to obey orders. You've not had to slave for any of it. How do we know that's true? Because when the younger son asked for his, it was given over to him right away. Second, we find that the father, he's not cheap at all. He would have, uh, he would have had whatever this son, whatever he wanted, it would have been given to him from the father. Everything the father owns, it's always been his in the first place. So the father is certainly not cheap. And then finally... We find here in this father's statement that the father kind of redefines fairness. It's not that the father isn't trying to be fair. It's that he never set out to be fair in the first place. It wasn't his intent. Rob Bell says it this way, Grace and generosity aren't fair. That's their very essence. The father sees this younger brother's return really as just one more opportunity to practice unfairness here. The this younger son really doesn't deserve a party, but the father is saying that's the whole point of the party. And that's how things work when the father's world, this profound unfairness. People get what they don't deserve. Parties are thrown for younger brothers who squander their inheritance. After all, is what the father is saying, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. I think there's a pretty good number of us, and I want to say me included over the years, that can identify with the older son. That when we read this story, we look at this guy, and if we were really honest, we'd say, I've probably been in that camp more. I mean, I look at people in the world that seem to be prospering or doing well, and I say, Lord, you know, I'm working really hard for your kingdom. (laughs) You know, I'm doing all this here and there, and my schedule looked like this this week, and why don't you bless me the way you've blessed them? It's older son type of thinking. Have you processed things that way at times in your life? It's older son thinking. Here's the mentality that I boil it down to in my own thinking. It's what's in it for me. That's really the thinking. I've done this, so what's in it for me? When do I get mine? That's what I'm really thinking at times in my life, if I was honest. And I think the father turns and says the same thing. Tom, you've had it all along. All that I have to offer you, all that is your heavenly father I have to offer, you have it all along. Look, my joy, living with joy, living with peace, having uh, what I offer you, this fullness of life that he tells us in John 10.10, my provision supply for your needs. You've had it all along, Tom. All you've had to do, like this older son, is is just receive it. Just just claim the role as my son. It's it's yours all along. It's a different view and a different twist when the way the father sees it here. You see, the father's really just retelling this story uh, of the older brother. He's just looking at it in a different way. Just like he did the younger brother, now the question is, 
how, which way is the older brother going to choose to see it as? What is he going to look at? Will he trust his version of the story or will he trust his father's version of the story? He has to choose which one he's going to live in. Which one will he believe and which one will he trust? I look at this and I think these, these sons are pretty excellent storytellers. I really think so. In fact, if they told their story to anyone but the father, I think they would have had this huge concurring audience that would have been nodding their head in total agreement to their stories. But the father sees things differently. That's the key phrase this morning. Can I repeat that? The father sees things differently. Repeat it out loud with me, will you? But the father sees things differently. Good. Now, now repeat it like, you know, maybe there's actually a volume coming out. But the Father sees things differently. Yeah, memorize that. Own that. Because that's a claim and a promise that comes out of this parable this morning. That God sees things very, very differently. I, I'm a pretty good storyteller myself. I think you are as well. And I brought up here with me, this is a, just a picture of me. Let's see if I can get it to stand up here. No, come on, you got to stand for me. It's too good not to stand. So this is just representing, there you go, my own story, right? Um, maybe it's your story too. It's how I see, it's how I tell the story. That's, that's me up there. So, yeah, that's great. Over here, this is, this is the Bible. Um, and this, this just represents, because I believe the Father in Heaven has a story to tell us as well. And I want to be honest with you for a second. I want to just be a little vulnerable. Um, sometimes I'm over here and I've got my picture and my view and my story, and I say, if I could just really communicate better, then I could really make an impact for his kingdom. I mean, real, people would really you know, enjoy hearing, they'd make changes in their life, they'd go on and it'd be incredible and all these testimonies. I say, wow, if I could just communicate better. So, God, what do I need to do to do this? Would you just, like, like, supernaturally, one day, make me sound like, you know, some of the elite preachers uh, of our world? I live in that world, and I tell myself that story sometimes. Probably, if I was honest, more times than I need to be telling myself that story. And all the time over here, God is communicating a totally different story. He never speaks about effectiveness, and he never speaks about that in God's Word. He just says, just go out and share the Word. Go out and speak about me, and then let me take over and let the chips fall where they may. But I live in my story sometimes instead of God's story over there. I'll be honest as well. Sometimes my story over here, I go, man, God, if I could just get my body looking better, you know, I mean, if I want to, like, rid myself of the fat and build the muscle, and, you know, if I had more of a this and, you know, less of a this, you know, kind of thing, you know, then I'd really be, I'd really be achieving something, you know, and, and you'd really open up doors of who I could connect with and da-da-da-da. I mean, the story goes all different directions. You know what I'm talking about. Um, and all the time God's over here saying <laughs> things about, uh, probably about vanity and about priorities and things like, not that God doesn't want me to be healthy and that type of thing, but, but you know the difference, right? And I'm telling myself stories like that. And sometimes uh, my story over here, maybe you identify with this, is if I spend my money on this thing, I'm going to feel really satisfied, joyful, pretty excited about, 
And so I start to prioritize my money, and it, sometimes they end up with material things that we didn't necessarily leave. One of the themes right now in our house is trying to avoid some of the impulse buys. And you know what I realize? Um, I'm the worst in the family at little impulse buys. And I mask it with saying I'm buying it for the kids or for the family, so it's not really selfish. But really, it's the same thing there. But God's telling a different story about, look, look Tom, um, use your money for kingdom values. You know, use your money to, to advance. Use your money for the guy in the corner that needs it, whether you really can decipher what he might go spend it on or not. Just use your money that way. It's a totally different story. Um, and then sometimes back in the church where I, I sit and I talk to friends or I see what they're doing, pastors, I think, man, Lord, if we could just grow this church to 500, you know, if you could just use me that way, then, man, we'd really be doing something for your kingdom. And sometimes I get, I'm going to tell you, I get swamped in this type of my story thinking over here. Whereas over here, Jesus is like, man, I built my kingdom to 12 guys. That's, <laughs> or my church. I mean, I had 12. That's kind of where I tapped out at over here. And Jesus said, look, I'm not necessarily concerned or interested in that. Just do my will. Man, I would love to tell you there was always victory from here to here. But, you know, I start pulling away, and it's like an elastic band strapped to me, yanking me right back into my story. And all the time, the Father is saying to me, I've got a totally different story. Which are you going to believe? Which one are you going to live in? What's your story this morning? You might be like the first son. You might be saying, you know, I'm just not worthy of this anymore. In fact, I think churches sometimes are filled with people who have blown it in life, who have got themselves kind of saying, hey, I've got to get, get back on track in life, and they've come back into the church, and they're sitting in the church, but they've never got to the point where they say, I am worthy to be a son or daughter of the king. Many times they come, they get plugged in, they're coming to church, good church attendance, maybe serving down, going to a small group, but they've never bought in like, like the son would have to have, that they are once again his son or daughter, and that he sees us this way. He doesn't see us as one who now has to work up the pecking order, restore your reputation, but that God looks and says, you are my son, you are my daughter. Maybe that's your story this morning. Maybe your story is the what's in it for me. It connects more with the older son this morning that you come around and, and that's kind of the first question you ask. What's in it for me? I mean, I've been working hard in the kingdom or I've, I'm working hard. I'm here. I mean, check my attendance record, Tom. It's pretty stellar there. And we believe that story and, and we kind of get into this what's in it for me type of thinking. And all the time the father is sharing a different story. The father is saying, look, there's somebody lost and they're now found. Let's go celebrate. Besides, everything I have, it's all yours anyway. You don't need to stress about that stuff. But let's go celebrate for the one loss. Maybe it's not so grand. Maybe it's on the smaller level. Um, maybe it's, your story is something like, you know, nobody will really know if I, I'm not hurting anybody. If I just do it once, twice, whatever. If it's in the privacy, nobody will really know. So it's not that big of a deal. Maybe you tell yourself that story. Maybe your story is, um, I just can't do anything right. You know, try in my marriage, try with my kids, in my job, whatever. And the story that eventually you're telling yourself is, I can't get ahead. I can't do anything quite properly. I can't do it quite like somebody else expects. And you kind of live in that world. 
Maybe it comes down to something like we've talked about already. It's, you know, I don't really need to go to church to be a Christian. I don't really need to be with those other Christians to become a Christian. And there's truth in that principle. But man, will we miss something when we believe that version of the story. You see, God is saying a totally different story to us this morning. He's saying, just like Luke 15, 31, you are with me always. Everything I have is yours. All you have to do is receive it. All you have to do is claim it and take it. That's really the power of this parable this morning. And then if you're one who feels unworthy, there is this great verse that goes along with it. It's found in 2 Corinthians six, eighteen. This is what it says. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. If you're one that you identify and you depict with the first son, I want to tell you this morning, you need to re- receive what he's saying. Receive that he's saying, you are my son or you're my daughter. You don't have to slave anymore. You don't have to work at it anymore. Just receive how I view you. If you're one that, that rests more when the older son, realize God has a mission on this earth. And God has a plan and a purpose. And he rejoices when we're on board with that plan and purpose of celebrating one that's lost and and now is found. But he also wants you to know this morning, everything he has, all the promises he says in his word, they're yours now. They're available to you. You just have to claim and receive it. And it's yours. I want to take a moment to to pray with you on this. And and I, I think in this time, maybe as you're praying that you just need to say, boy, I really identify with this son or this son or, or something maybe else was said that you say, that, that describes me. Or maybe it was that you just think, I've been, I've been looking at my view of my story and I haven't even been thinking about the story that God is telling me. Maybe in this short prayer time, you could just hear the story that God might be telling you about value, about purpose, that you are a son, you are a daughter, and all that he has is yours. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that a, a simple story that many of us, if we were honest, gosh, Lord, we've probably heard 20 teachings on this. But Father, there's a, there's a simple truth that is, it just goes on and on. It's timeless for us that when we claim it, that Lord, any time that we walk away from you, any time that we push back, any time that we go out, whether it's for a long period or it's just that one night, and we start to live in shame. We start to feeling unworthy. I could never return. That we have a heavenly Father who stands and opens his arms wide. And as the story even tells us this morning, runs to us as soon as we're seen. And he embraces us. He puts the robe on us, a ring and sandals. And he throws a party for us with the fattened calf, saying, you are worth tremendous value to me. You are son. You are daughter. And Lord, I just pray for it. Even if there's one person here who needs to claim that this morning, that they are your son or daughter. There there might be somebody who is claimed Christian, that they are Christian, but they they can't quite come to the place where they just own their value to the Heavenly Father. I pray this morning they could claim that and own that. Lord, I pray for the person maybe that has been far away from you and they just kind of came in this morning where they understand that, that the father of the story is the same God our Father this morning that speaks to them. 
and embraces them. And that as a church, we want to be just like the Father for people who are far that have come back. We want to be a church that tells a story about return and reconciliation and redemption. But Lord, I also want to pray for those who are on the opposite side. They're the older brother. They recognize that they've been struggling up till now. They've been in church for long, long, long periods of time. But they haven't quite got what the Father is all about. And so when the Father says things or does things, we grumble. We say, what's in it for me? I've been doing this. God, how are you noticing? When, God, will you? And we talk in those terms. It may very well be, Lord, that they're just, even if there's one this morning that says, that's me, I'm at church all the time, I'm plugged in, but I haven't been on board with the purposes and mission of God, and therefore, I miss it sometimes. If that's you this morning, just, just claim it before God in an instant. If your heart's right in an instant, he'll forgive you. He'll reshow you your mission, give you opportunity to be on board right now. And then would he remind you everything he has. It's already yours. It's already yours. Just claim it and receive it this morning in his name. His joy, his peace, his provision, and on and on and on. We thank you, Lord, for all of that. We pray it in your son's name. Amen.